This morning's reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, and I'll be reading from verse 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to you, to the interests of others. In your relationship with other, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless this word of Thanks, Kev. Morning, everyone. Um, before I pray, in your bulletins you'll see there's an insert for uh, Alien Intrusion. The author of the book, Alien Intrusion, Gary Bates, Gary and Fran were with us in the earlier service. I thought they were going to be in the service as well. But he said, what, listen to you twice? <laughs> um, no. Uh, but Gary's going to be there tomorrow night, I think. Yep. So you'll be able to debate with him. No, you'll be able to get him to sign a book or whatever. So there are, I think, about 30 positions left, Gary said to me this morning. If uh, you haven't been, I uh, commend it to you. It's a great opportunity for you to take a friend and go see Alien Intrusion. Prices are on that and all the details are in there. It's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Carindale Cinemas. I commend that to you. We're in a series on serving, discovering our spiritual gifts, identifying our talents, identifying vacancies in the church and what role we could possibly be serving in it. And this morning I want to talk to you about uh, why we should be servants, four motivations, four reasons why we as followers of the Lord Jesus should be servant-hearted or servants. Uh, let me pray and then we'll work through part of this passage and then bounce off it. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word, for your spirit, and thank you for Jesus, who by his death and resurrection has made us, it's possible for us to be made right with you. And we pray now that you would be pleased to open our minds, enlighten us, help us to understand these truths, and to understand, Lord, what your will, what you want us to be doing. Help us to do that sensibly, help us to do that uh, in a balanced way, and help us to do that for your pleasure, for your honour, for your glory. We pray and ask because Jesus is our Lord. Amen. In this Philippians 2 passage, say Derek, if you want to throw that back up just for the first part of this, I guess, Paul opens on the assumption that he's writing to people who are connected with and who follow Jesus. He talks about uh, if you've been united with Christ, so you are connected with him, you've responded to him, you're the recipient of his love 
and you share in his spirit. That's verse 1. And then flowing out of this new relationship with Jesus and his spirit indwelling, flow certain attitudes, certain values, certain responses. Uh, encouragement by being united with Jesus, comfort from his love, uh, common sharing or fellowship with the spirit, and also tenderness and compassion. And then Paul goes on to talk about of joy being made complete if we as followers of Jesus act in a way which is like-minded, sharing and having uh, one love with one another and being one in spirit and mind. In the negative side, we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, of promoting ourselves, but rather to, humil in humility, be considering other people, those around us, particularly in the church, our brothers and sisters, but not just that, um, but primarily that. We are to value others above ourselves. That's not a false humility that goes around and says, oh, you're better than me, and you're not really, but that's what I have to say and think, and it doesn't mean that at all. What Paul is saying is, instead of thinking about yourself and valuing yourself all the time, which is what we do naturally, we love ourselves, don't we? Don't we? Three of you agree? Try one more time. We love ourselves, don't we? Oh, good. Eight. If you're hungry, what do you do? If you're thirsty, if you're cold, put something on it warm. If you're too hot, try to cool down. We look after ourselves. If you're tired, you have a nap. Well, it depends if it's bed or daytime, doesn't it? It's <clears throat> we look after ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. We don't like the expression that they love themselves. We see that as a derogatory thing that they, you know, they're the centre of their own little world and nobody else is important to them. I don't mean that. What the Apostle Paul is saying, just like we look after ourselves when we're in need, hungry, tired, whatever, uh, so value others in the same way. Are other people hungry, in need, cold, too hot? This morning, it's pretty humid. If you think somebody is too hot, go up to them and blow on them. Yeah. As a gift to consider others of helping them. You know I'm kidding. Don't blow on me. So too, it's, is another person needing to be listened to? Are they needing particular care or prayer? Or, that's what the Apostle Paul means, to value others before we value ourselves. Not to look to our own interests, but to be looking to the interests of others. And then, bottom line, big picture is, in our relationships with one another, we are to have the same mindset, the same predisposition as what Jesus had. He is the one we follow. He is the one we confess as our Lord. He is the one we submit to. Well, we are to do what he did. We are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who though he was in very nature God, laid aside all of that privilege and glory and whatever else, it's mysterious to talk about, isn't it? He laid that aside and he became human, not just human, he became a servant. So too for us, regardless of your status or so, uh, prestige in life, you are to be prepared to lay that aside, to humble yourself and to become servant-hearted, focusing on serving others, to be outward-focused. That's the point of the passage. And then just as God acted in Jesus and has now exalted him, so the Bible teaches us that God will also act in our lives and he will eventually commend us and reward us depending on 
our success and, and faithfulness in being a loyal servant. Back in the 1930s and then into the 1940s, late 1930s, uh, war broke out, World War II. And the United States was on the outside of getting involved in that. They were leaving it between the European nations and then Japan entered the war and through Pearl Harbor attacked the United States. And this nation, the United States, which was on the edge and not involved, um, was suddenly stung into action. And as a direct result of the Japanese invasion of Pearl Harbor, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, that led to an immediate outcry amongst the people of the United States and there were queues lined up around corners for hundreds of metres, hundreds of metres, hundreds of yards, whatever, around the corner of a block, people wanting to enlist, let me in, I want to go, I want to serve, I want to defend the cause of right or whatever it was motivating them. Teenagers lied about their age, said they were older so they could get a uniform and enlist. Middle-aged people lied about their age and said they were younger so that they could get enlisted. And people who got medically excluded took themselves either to another city or to a place where they could actually be involved in the war effort, making steel or propellers or ammunition or something. They wanted to contribute. They wanted to be a part of their nation rising up in response to this terrible thing that had happened to them. 25 years after that war, there was another war, America and Vietnam. We were involved in that war with them. The response in the United States was very different. People weren't queued up round blocks for corners for hundreds of metres, burnt wanting, wanting to enlist. People did lie about their age, but not to go, but to not go. People had to be compelled, they had to be drafted to go. People were not volunteering because they didn't believe in the cause. And people who were drafted, who were conscripted, they served reluctantly. They served under a sense of just pure uh, obligation. They didn't want to be there. And they couldn't wait till their time of tour of duty was up. Two different attitudes, two different responses to a similar situation in terms of war. So too, the churches are involved in a war, were involved in a spiritual war. But those same two attitudes are evident in the life of the church. There are followers of the Lord Jesus, people in church who have a World War II mentality. They volunteer, they're eager to serve, they feel compelled in their hearts that I want to serve, I want to do what I can to glorify God and serve him and achieve his purposes. There are other people like the Vietnam model, if you like. You've got to be conscripted. You've got to be made to serve. Pastors have to preach sermons and make you feel guilty and terrible and you think, oh, right, I'll sign up. And, and you do and then you can't wait the term finishes and phew, don't have to do that anymore I'm obviously explaining an extreme which one are you in? you in the first one, the World War II model if we call it that eager to serve, wanting to serve wanting to serve where I can wanting to do more than what I'm able to do at this time or you in the Vietnam one of not doing anything I want to avoid it I just want to sit and soak until the king comes back I'm here to be served, not to serve. Which one are you? Which one do you think is more like the Lord Jesus? Well, it's easy, isn't it? The World War II model is more like the Lord Jesus. So what are the reasons that we should have this mindset like the Lord Jesus? Have this mindset in you which was in Christ Jesus. Put aside his own interest, desires <clears throat> in order to achieve God's purposes. Came into our world. 
God who became fully human. Incredible. We remember that at Christmas. Who lived his life to die and rise again. We remember that at Easter. We will in a few weeks. But who also lived his life as a model and as an example. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, serving makes us, if we follow Jesus, if we name the name of Jesus, if we say he is our Lord, that he has saved us from the consequences of our sin, serving makes us like Jesus. That's point one. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 22, verse 27, the Lord Jesus also says, I am among you as one who serves. Servant-hearted towards God's people, towards others. Because he was obeying and pleasing his heavenly Father, obeying and pleasing God, doing what God wanted him to do. On each and every occasion, as remarkable as that is, but that's what he did. There's this wonderful statement in the baptisms of the Lord, in the baptism of the Lord Jesus, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter three, verse seventeen, end of the chapter. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. He's come out of the water. The dove has come upon him in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus kneels down and he's praying, and the clouds or the heavens part, and there is a voice from heaven. It's the voice of the Father, and the Father says, "This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." What had Jesus done up to that point? He's 30, 35 years of age. What has he done for 30 years? Well, he's lived in Nazareth. He's been a tradie, a carpenter, a builder. God's evaluation of the life of Jesus Christ at his baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We can please God by living a life of obedience and serving others, which Jesus had been demonstrating. It's an incredible insight into the person of who Jesus is. Jesus came, certainly, to forgive us for our sins, to pay the penalty, to pay for our sins, and to restore us to God. Yep, we believe that, teach that. But he also came to make us different. He came to make us holy. He came to change us. He didn't die for us so that we can remain unchanged. He died for us so that we could be changed from being self or sin-focused, self-focused, into being others-focused. It's a transition. It's a transformation. And it's something we are to cooperate with him in. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, Therefore, uh, those whom God foreknew, he has also predestined, what? He has predestined that we become conformed to the image of his son. God will continue to work in our life until we become like Jesus. Serving makes us more like Jesus. Does it matter to you how much you're like Jesus? None of us are there all the way yet. We've all got weaknesses. We've all got faults. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. It's a given. The question is not, do you make mistakes? The question is, what do you do with them? Confess them. Repent of them. Make a commitment. I'm going to try and do it better. And you do. Terrific. That's what we're supposed to do. The issue is not, will you fall? The issue is, will you get up? Serving makes us more like Jesus. 
what God did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, how he made them in his likeness, how he made them his image bearers. God's doing the same thing now in the church. He's making us to be the image bearers of Jesus Christ. He's making us in Jesus' image. And people look at us, they see him. That's the plan. That's the idea. That's what we're cooperating with. That's point one. Serving makes us like Jesus. Point two. Why should we be servant-hearted? Why should we have this mindset of Christ? Because service brings glory to God. Service honours him. God has given each of us a spiritual gift. He's given us talents. He's given us abilities. He's given us a mind. We're to use all of these things. God's given us hands, most of us. God's given us hands and a mouth. I'll get his name. I'll say it wrong. But do you know that guy or heard of that guy, Nick Vajusek? Is, is that his name? Vojacek. Who's been, he came to Sunnybank uh, 12 something years ago, maybe something way back then. Had it. Shh, shh. You mean he went to high school at Runcorn? That's where he attended school. Who knew that? Four of you. I didn't know that. Thanks. He was captain. Any other stories we want to talk about, Nick? <laughs> He's a remarkable communicator. He's married, has two kids, I think. Three children. Stop interrupting. Doesn't have arms. Doesn't have legs. But he's got a mouth, and man, does he use that mouth for Jesus. He is a dynamic communicator and evangelist. He is funny, and being funny, he just gets straight in with the punchline. Been all around the world, spoken on TV and all sorts of things. He's got a couple of books out, I commend that to you. My point is this, God has given us two hands and a mouth to use for him. And even in Nick's life, didn't have, doesn't have arms or legs, but he's got a mouth and he's doing that. And the chances are very high that God has given you a spiritual gift in the area, either of your hands, it's an activity, it's a work, it's a deed that you will do, or he's given you a spiritual gift in the area of your mouth that you'll speak for him, whether it's teaching or evangelism or exhortation or whatever it is, it's using your mouth, or intercession or prayer and so on. It doesn't remove the responsibility for us as followers of Jesus, that all of us are to use both our hands and our mouth for Jesus. But we have a gift in one of these areas, probably. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter says. And you'll find that sort of uh, split, that dual division, categorization of gifts uh, all the way through the New Testament. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, we've read this a couple of times over the series. In verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do one as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Why? So that in all things, God might be glorified, praised, honoured through Jesus. If anyone speaks, if anyone serves, use your mouth, use your hands, whatever it is, in order that God might be glorified. That's why we should serve because it glorifies him and it pleases him and it honours him. Just like poor service reflects on him. 
just as dynamic service reflects on him. And particularly I'm thinking and talking about service within the church. Our service is certainly within the church, but our service is also beyond the walls of the church. And it's also in our families, in those three different categories or areas. So I'm thinking particularly about within the church. Service makes us more like Jesus and service helps us to honour, glorify God by our serving in the church. As well as I said, those other areas. Number three. Service demonstrates that we know and love God. Service usually, when people are serving in the church, it usually indicates that they're the recipients of God's grace, that something has changed for them. They've come into a relationship with Jesus. Of course, that's not infallible. That's not always true. There are some people who serve in the church because they think that by serving in the church, they're actually going to be pleasing God, that they'll be made right with God. They'll get saved because of their service. We're not saved by our good works, not even within the church. My mum used to be like that. Before she became a Christian, towards the end of her life, when I became a Christian, mum started attending the Anglican church. She was Anglican. And she put herself, she got herself onto the roster where she would be cleaning the sanctuary of St. Thomas's in the Randra, and she'd clean the altar and help set up the flowers. And she also put herself, got herself put on the roster doing something she absolutely hated which is taking little offering, a bunch of offering envelopes for a year and going visiting the Anglicans who were you know, not attending church regularly and they would knock on the door and say, hi, you're from the Anglican church and here are your offerings for envelopes for the 2018. She absolutely hated doing it. Why'd she do it? Well, because she thought that's what she should do. She thought that was the right thing to do. She thought she was pleasing God by doing so. It wasn't until later on towards she got cancer and then she suddenly... She came to the realisation in God's goodness and grace that, gee, I'm not saved by the things I do. I'm not saved by my good works, not even in the church. I'm saved by Jesus and all that he did. But once I am saved, then I'm changed and then I serve. So service does not save. But if I am saved, then I will serve. Charles Spurgeon says pretty strongly, pretty bluntly, but correctly, some people may try to serve God without loving him. But no one can love God without serving him. He is no Christian who does not seek to serve his God, Spurgeon says. They are no Christian who do not seek to serve their God. Strong words, aren't they? And I think correct. But like we've said before a few weeks ago, there's, there could be reasons why you're not serving God or why you're not serving God in the way that you would like. It could be because you're wounded, we said. You could have been hurt or damaged or something's not right in relationships or, or whatever, uh, whether it's from another church or within this church or a relationship, whatever. There's difficulties going on in your own family and life and you're wounded, you're limping and you're not able to serve. And that's understandable. You need healing and you need rest and you need ministering too. The time will come for you to get back in the saddle. But if you're wounded, then it's okay to take time out. Could be because you're dis being disciplined. And you've been disobedient or something has gone wrong in your life and the church has disciplined you and they've removed you from service until that issue is dealt with. We know something of that. Or as I said last time, it could be because of age. As we get older, we can't do the things we once did. I used to be an athlete. 
I used to run the 400, the 800 and the mile. I used to be a lot thinner too at one stage. I can't do that now. And not just because that I'm overweight, but I just can't do that now. Even if I went back into training, I would not be able to do what I did when I was so magnificent on the track. There is a beautiful verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 37, talks about this older lady. She's 84. 84. Name was Anna. Remember her? says, Anna used to serve God day and night in the temple through prayer and fasting. Here is Anna, 84, serving God day and night, doing what she can. Not doing what she probably could, did do when she was younger, but still serving. And some of our older folk, senior folks, are like that too. Still serving, praying, attending, encouraging, giving, doing what they can. Still serving. God bless them. Because service demonstrates that you know God and that you love him and you want to serve him. Uh, in Ephesians 2.10, it talks about how uh, we have been saved by faith, not by works through grace, and it's, uh, or by grace through faith, not of works so that we can't boast about it. And then it says, and God, uh, we are God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece. We're his craft. He's made us. He's shaped us. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus, relationship with Jesus, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God made you, God shaped you, God saved you through the person of Jesus, and God says, here, I've got a job for you to do. Giving you the tools, the gifts, the natural abilities, the talent to do the job that I want you to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says that the Thessalonians had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Hebrews 9.14, we have been forgiven, cleansed, in order for us to serve the living God. We have been saved to serve, because serving makes us like Jesus, because serving demonstrates that we know and love him. Serving glorifies and honours God. Remember the story of Jacob, that rascal? He wasn't a nice bloke. One of the patriarchs. But he was a deceiver. He got up to all sorts of mischief. But God accepted him. Loved him. God was in the process of changing him and does transform him. In Genesis 29 tells the story of this bloke, Jacob, who fell in love with a girl called Rhonda, uh, Rachel. And 29, chapter 29, verse 20 of the book of Genesis says that Jacob served for Rachel to win her hand, to pay off, if you like, for her father, to pay money to her father so he could marry his daughter. Jacob served for Rachel seven years and to him it seemed like a few days because of the love that he had for her. That's what love does. It transforms your attitude and your energy that you put into things. Because you serve God, it indicates that you know and love him. Number four. Service demonstrates, makes us more like Jesus. Service brings glory and honour to God. Service demonstrates that we know him and love him. 
finally, service brings pleasure. If you're not serving, you're missing out on something. Service brings pleasure to us, service brings pleasure to God, and service brings pleasure to other people. Service brings pleasure to us. If we are serving in that sweet spot, if we're serving with right motives, of loving him, obeying him, wanting to be truly helpful to other people, that God gets glorified and so on, then you, in that frame of work, when you serve, you will be experiencing some deep inner delight, a joy, a peace, a satisfaction. I trust that many of you have had that experience. And if you are not serving, you're missing now. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. I delight. When we do what God wants us to do, when we're in that sweet spot that we spoke about last week, when you're in the sweet spot, it seems easier sometimes, but it just is delightful. It's a pleasure. And of course, that very famous story that you've heard me tell and you've read and heard others tell, I'm sure, of Eric Liddell. Christian, missionary, Christian martyr. He was a missionary to China, got arrested by the Japanese when they invaded China and he was in a Japanese prisoner war camp and that's where he was executed. He was also an athlete, a great athlete, Olympian, a gold medalist and probably in the estimation of some, Scotland's greatest athlete. He had a sister whose name was Jenny. And she was worried about her brother, Eric, because she knew that God had called Eric to go to China as a missionary. And he was at university, at college, and he was, while he was doing his studies, he was a little bit distracted and also pursuing his athletic career, trying out for the Olympic team. And she feared, because he was good, she feared that he would give up his call, his purpose of going to be a missionary to pursue this and so she expresses that to him and there's a movie uh, made about all of this uh, Chariots of Fire and in it you have Eric responding to Jenny's fears and he says Jenny, Jenny Jenny, God made for me for a purpose and it's to go to China I know that but when he made me he also made me fast listen and when I run I feel his pleasure. It's in a sweet spot. When I run, I feel his pleasure. That's how God has made us. Service brings pleasure. We serve the same king. I reckon that when we do something that pleases God, I think he smiles. I think he applauds. I think he shouts, encore, encore, do it again. Do that again. Keep doing that. Serve me out of your sweet spot. That's what he says about Matthew, chapter 3, verse 17. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus was living his life in that sweet spot. Here's a question for you, a hypothetical. What if God didn't allow us to serve? What if we were forbidden? What if we weren't allowed to serve? might be nice for a while you might feel pampered people serving you coming to you you might feel important for a while eventually my guess is this is how I think I would respond eventually I wouldn't like it I'd feel devalued I'd feel I want to help no you can't sorry 
you'd feel unwanted. Eventually, you could even get to the point of feeling unneeded, unnecessary, feeling useless. You're good for nothing except for other people to wait on. Some of you are saying, yes, please. You would never feel the joy that angels feel by serving God. That's all they do, serve God. And they have this incredible joy and delight. Service brings pleasure. If you're not serving, you're missing out. Service brings pleasure to God. He's pleased. Hebrews 13, 16, one of many verses. Don't forget, the author says, to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do good, share with others, and with that, God is pleased. Encore. Do it again. Do it again. And it's not just for this life, it's going to happen in the next life. We don't know a lot about the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be different. We know that. But we're given little hints, little glimpses. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, There'll be no more curse. And there in the city, uh, there will be uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb on it. And his servants will serve him. That's us, followers of Jesus. His servants will serve him in eternity, in heaven, in glory, in paradise, on the new earth, in new heavens and a new earth. Doing what? the passage in its context talks about that we're going to reign with him it talks about there are nations talks about a city so I'm not sure what's going to be happening I'm very hopeful I'm not going to get a harp and a cloud seat I hope I'm going to be doing something else Billy Graham thought who's now gone to be with the Lord he used to hypothesize that because he's an evangelist, he thought he would be doing that in the new heavens and new earth, that he would be going to other galaxies and other you know, parts of the universe or something and preaching the gospel. Nah, that's not right. New heavens, new earth, no sin. No preaching the gospel, as far as we know. But service is not just for this life, it's for the next. Why? Well, because it's pleasurable. It's delightful. God made us this way. He wants to bless us with that reception of that joy and pleasure. Service brings pleasures to others. You're the recipients of great pleasure from other service, from other believers. God gives us different Christians' gifts at different levels. Some have local level gifts, some have... You know, national level gifts, some have international level gifts, and some believers have intergenerational across centuries gifts. We still benefit from those who have gone centuries before us, the heroes of the faith. Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Erasmus, Spurgeon, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, D.L. Moody, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But even in today, internationally we benefit from we get pleasure from we are ministered to by other saints whom god has gifted we listen to their podcasts we look them up on youtube we attend their conferences we read their books we're blessed by their service we get pleasure from it and you can have your own list mine is max Licardo, don carson john lennox andy stanley rick warren bill hybels tim keller david jeremiah better mention some women don't i Corrie Ten Boom, Elizabeth Elliot, Anne Graham Watts, it's outstanding. Liz Higgins, it's ridiculously funny. 
Joyce Meyer, she's different. Natasha Crane, I recommend her to all young parents. Grab her material, apologetics material. And God has also gifted us here at the local level. You've probably been blessed by and had joy, you've received joy from the service of others who are wholeheartedly serving and following Jesus here. Whether it's a missionary, an ex-missionary, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a, a Christian businessman, just thrills your heart because of the model and the encouragement they input. It might be a Christian parent, that they are just helping you so much in that role as a parent. They love and serve God and they bless you through it. That's how God has designed the body. And just as you have been blessed by them, so you can be a blessing to others as well. Hebrews 6.10 says, God will not forget your work and the love that you have shown to him as you have helped his people. Do you get that? God won't forget your work, things you do, and the love that you have shown him when you help his people. On call. Do it again. Do it again. Are you a World War II model Christian? Or are you a Vietnam model Christian? Serving in the church makes us more like Jesus. Serving helps, makes, helps us to glorify God. Serving demonstrates that we know and love God. And serving brings pleasure to us, to God, and to one another, to others. Let me finish with this in Mark chapter 14. There's a story of a lady. The other Gospels call her Mary. The Lord Jesus is in the upper room and he's about, um, I think it's on the final night. Anyway, she comes and she anoints Jesus' feet with this very expensive perfume, nard. It's worth a year's wages. And by any culture, that's a lot of money. The disciples saw it, smelled it, complain about it, thinks it's a waste of money, shouldn't have been done for that. Jesus corrects them and in the midst of the things that he says, he says this, she has done what she could. Isn't that a great line? She has done what she could. There were certain limitations, I assume, on her. She has done what she could. Have you done what you could for him, serving others? Are you doing what you can without neglecting your other God-given responsibilities and priorities, of course. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, serving. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus into our world. Thank you that he not only died and rose, but that he has committed to us being transformed, changed. So, Father, change us. Continue to change us. Motivate us into being Servants of the Lord Jesus. Servants who are becoming more like Jesus. Servants who are glorifying you. Servants who are uh, demonstrating their love of you. And servants who are bringing pleasure to you and to others. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.